Hi, we are in a new episode of the History and Politics podcast, and we have a great guest. We have Andrew Nessian, which is a professor of Scandinavian studies at the University of Washington, to talk about Finland in popular imagination. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Camilo. Good to talk to you. So, thanks how, for the invitation to participate. Yes. So, how did your interest in, in Finland start? Um, as a kid, I had some Finnish friends, or my family had some Finnish friends that led me to visit the country a couple times. And then I was an exchange student, and um, then uh, studied at the University of Helsinki uh, when I after after an undergraduate uh, studies in the United States. And that led me to be interested in it and to learn the language and to continue to to uh, uh, visit and, and do research and so forth. And, and ultimately, then I just continued with that to, to make it a part of my research at the University of Washington. And how do you do you do you think the, 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 the issue of, of Finland is particularly to, to Scandinavia? Because I think some definitions of Scandinavia even don't include Finland. Like it's more in the more definition of Nordic as as opposed to Yeah, that's correct. I, I think many Finns would say, Oh, we're not Scandinavian, but we are Nordic. And Nordic is a political definition dating to the um, establishment of the Nordic Council in 1952. Um, so that's a sort of political de definition, but it's, there's many different ways to think about it. For example, people who would want to see that region as a <clears throat> kind of cohesive whole might say, oh, well, Finland was a part of Sweden from 1155 until 1809 when it was part of, you know, the Swedish realm. Uh, and so, you know, Swedish is an official language of, of Finland. There's a large, or, uh, you know, like 6% of the population speaks Swedish um, and so forth. And, and many of the laws and sort of traditions come down from that Swedish period. So um, there's a very strong connection to, to, to Sweden um, in the country. And that's, of course, part, you know, the, the argument for the more sort of Scandinavian orientation. Um, you know, but then on the other hand, you know, thinking about going back to that political definition, um, if, if some people would say, well, Finland was a part of Sweden for, you know, 700 years, then others might say, well, Finland has the longest European border with Russia, and that makes it different from the other uh, countries in that part of the world because of that long and sort of uh, complicated relationship to Russia, which has seen a number of wars and so forth. So... You, it, it kind of depends on the perspective you take in, in locating Finland and, and what conversation you're participating in. You know, another one that I didn't mention is language. Of course, the Finnish language is not related to any of the Scandinavian languages, and it's not related to, uh, I mean, it's only related to Estonian and Hungarian among the European languages. Um, of course, it's a Finno-Ugric language, not an Indo-European language, and so that's another place where people say, oh, well, Finland really isn't a part of that of Scandinavia, say, because um, of that linguistic difference where, you know, Norwegian, Swedish, Danish, um, you can read read them um, with a little practice, and then if you're used to speaking um, one of those languages with other speakers of another language, you know, Danes and Norwegians, say, or, or Swedes and Danes or whatever, then it might be a little hard to understand some dialects, but, you know, they're basically 
mutually comprehensible with a little bit of practice. Uh, but Finnish is, of course, not the case that way. Um, and so in that way, people say, oh, well, Finland is not a, a part of it. Um, but, you know, like another another thing you could say is that of all those um, Nordic countries, that in each case, um, there's a very strong national um, kind of framework, you know, is about media and is about points of reference, educational institutions and so forth. And then there's a kind of a regional framework that has to do with labor markets, economic relationships, banking connections, that sort of thing. And then, of course, the EU, which is the next level out um, that ties people, ties those countries together. So, um, you know, maybe one thing that you could say about that, that whole conversation is that the limits of the nation state are perhaps a little bit visible because for each argument about the differences of Finland, you could present another one that's about the, um, the connections to that part of the, part of, part of the world. On one more brief point, and that is looking from, say, North America or other parts of the world at the Nordic countries, um, you know, one, one scholar has, has made the, the great remark that it's the narcissism of small differences, that from the outside they look a lot alike, and their state form is the same, that is social democratic welfare state, um, very many, many similar sorts of traditions that come down from their Protestant state churches or Lutheran state churches, um, similar cultural kinds of expectations about daily life and so forth. So um, maybe seen from the outside, that, that unit looks looks fairly cohesive. Um, so lots of different ways to define it. Finland certainly is different than the other Nordic countries, um, and depending on what context it's placed in, you can emphasize that difference or uh, minimize that difference. Yeah, so to to go to the to the topic per se of, of the popular imagination, as someone who lives in Peru, which many times is on the peripheries of, of a lot of discussions, it's very curious the presence of Finland in, in popular imagination here because it is present in many ways. Uh, for example, um, the the rock and metal. Uh, are have been like popular, not maybe not as much as in as in the past, but um, for example, bands like Him or or other metal bands were relatively popular in, in Peru, and and that was very curious. Or or the fact that that even on education there is a consciousness that there is a good education system in, in Finland, and there have been invited uh, Finnish scholars to talk about their education system. Uh, uh, the, I think I think you work on on, on cinema. And for example, Aki Korismaki is also well known here. Um, the the a film festival last year did a um, a retrospective of, of his of his films. Yeah. So so I think yeah, it's it's that's present. Yeah, right. those are really really interesting observations. Could you tell me? I would I'd just be curious to hear like when people say say, are interested in metal or, you know, whatever, whatever subgenre of, of, of sort of, you know, popular music we're talking about, like, what is it in, in Peru, you know, among people that you, you know, or that, you know, the articles you read, you know, what is it that they're interested in, like him? Is it, is it about the finishness or is this, this is just this cool band? Like, how do you, how do you think about the kind of way in which the appeal to an audience in, say, Lima works 
Yeah, I think the the thing it sounds it sounds great, but I haven't. But when I I talk to people that really like the band, I, I mean, they have noticed that Finland is 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 different musically also from from okay. the the rest of Scandinavia to say in some way because. Uh, the rest of, of of the Scandinavia, I mean, has also metal, but but there are other music genres that has a lot of of of, of success, like indie, for example. It's uh, there have been like um, some um, Peruvian record labels have the compilations of, of for example Swedish indie bands so mm -hmm. but um but the Finnish metal is seen as particular as, as different than, than than the metal from from other kind of geographies wow so so you feel like people are are responding to some sort of national identity category there that they yeah. recognize it as Finnish and are thinking about it in those terms and, and there's like distinctive features of it that they associate with yeah. With Finland, yes. Yeah, because I, I just I don't I, I I mean it's it's interesting with popular music in particular right, where it's often in English not all of course but yeah. oftentimes um, singing in English like what are what are the things that that are sort of interesting to you know global audiences um, you know I did I, I there, there's some interesting writing about Finnish popular music in the, in the popular press and then also scholarship, you know, that um, I guess one of the things that is sort of a stereotype of the country, that the, that Finns are very melancholic, is actually proven at, proven in the popular music that there's like more minor key compositions and recurrences of certain words that are, you know, you, know, you might associate with melancholy, longing, things like that. Um, you know, and so there is a kind of a profile in the popular music of a certain kind of music that actually, you know, corresponds to some sort of um, national kind. Of, you know, like national sort of self stereotyping or something like that. Um, you know, so perhaps you know, uh, attentive listeners hear that and sort of say, "Oh, that's interesting," and and um, um, go for that kind of thing. You know, I mean. Uh, Obviously, popular music, education, cinema, they're all very different institutions. Um, you know, the education thing is, of course, um, I think has been, it, it's become so well known in part because of these OECD uh, measures of the various school systems around the world, where initially Finland performed very well, but in more recent um, tests, I guess, it has fallen slightly. Um, and of course, part two of that is this uh, scholar, um, Pasi Salberry, who has written this book, Finnish Lessons, and then Finnish Lessons 2.0, you know, a revised edition of, of the first of the same book. And uh, those books have just been very successful in telling in a concise way something about the Finnish education system. So that, as much as that's about Finnish education, it's a case of a very gifted and eloquent speaker who's a, been able to tell the story of Finnish education in a way that international audiences can understand. And then it becomes sort of an example in a broader debate about methods of educational improvement and so forth, you know, in, in a kind of globalized setting in which, you know, high-tech jobs require high levels of education. And so, people, and so 
you know, decision makers are concerned about educational institutions. Um, you know, and then, then um, there, there, there's other dimensions there that we could talk about as well. But, you know, cinema is an interesting one, you know, too, because of the, you know, there's cinema and then there's all the kinds of different subcategories of cinema. Of course, Kaurus Mackey is, a, is, is making auteur films, really, and uh, those films um, certainly you could say, while commentators have often said, oh, they're all about Finland, they're really about Aki Kaurus Mackey and the way that he makes films, and while Finland has often been a topic of his or sort of settings and characters and so forth that people associate with uh, images of that country, um, you know, they're really about Aki Kaurus Mackey and his particular style of filmmaking and so forth. I think that, I mean, it's interesting to, to ask, are audiences responding to Howard Maggie's particular style, or are they responding to Finland? You know, I mean, one one argument I think is that what those films really are about, they're like films that appeal to people who go to art house cinema in you know big metropolitan areas around the world, and that could be Lima, or that could be you know um, Sydney, Australia, or it could be you know Tokyo. There's a lot of places where there's an art house circuit or art house theaters that people are very interested in, and you know, they want to go there. And, that, and, and like someone like Kaurus Mackey, you know, they don't want to watch it on streaming, right? They want to go to the theater and 35 millimeter projections and important part of it. There's a, like a nostalgia for, you know, new wave cinema, you could say, that is part of part of Kaurus Mackey's appeal. So, um, and he, you know, that's part of his films as well. So, you know, it's very interesting, like once you start th moving beyond the kind of the, the, the those, those initial categories, nation, cinema, whatever, down into the, down into, you know, a little bit uh, um, sort of subcategories, I think the picture gets more complicated, but then also a lot more interesting. Yes, I, I, I agree. And, and, and it's also the, the reception that there is, that, that Finland is a, a country that values culture, that values knowledge a lot, much more than than the average Latin American values, or probably even the American values, and, and I think that's that's something that is uh, a lot present in many while, while people reflect about about Finland. It, it seems like a country which has uh, which value in education is the reflection maybe of other values that are part of their of their own unique characteristics. Yeah, that's a that's a very uh, perceptive observation. I think that there is something going on there historically. Um, you know, I think there's a number of different chapters in that story. A very important one is Finland's origins as a nation state, which really starts in 1809 when Finland becomes a part of becomes a Russian Grand Duchy. And at that point, Finland was, Finnish was not a written language, um, except for a translation of the New Testament as part of the Protestant Reformation. Um, and so there was incredible uh, devotion and intense work to uh, codify and make Finnish a written language during the 20th century or 19th century. You know, the most famous uh, Finnish literary work, the Kalevala, was you know, compiled and published um, first in 1835 and then in 1849, you know, two versions of it. Um, 
you know, that was part of this idea of creating a culture. So that's a culture of the book, right? Very, very, a great focus on literature as a means of expressing the soul of the people, say, kind of, you know, romantic idea. Um, and that, you know, that, that really carries forward into the 20th century where there's an, a lot of emphasis on the arts as a form of expression of the nation, right? Now, that's, of course, like, that's a very elitist discourse. That's about intellectuals talking about letters and the arts as the way of expressing the people, right? And, of course, the people are these sorts of peasants out there who um, may not have a great deal of interest in the arts, but are this kind of, like, romantic um, source of, of identity. Um, you know, but that, that, that and, and of course, with that comes in, then the people have to kind of live up to the elite's ideals of how they should be. And that, I think, led to a lot of conflict. Or not a lot of conflict, but led to tension. And, and one particular conflict, the Finnish Civil War in 1918, um, that had to do with different notions of different kind of senses of what that country was and, and um, you know, what its identity was. So, you know, there's, but that, that helps explain why there's this intense interest in literature and in the arts as... Um, valuable to national expression. Education goes with that too, but again, there it's a more elite education that really until the like 1960s and 70s and the kind of full establishment of the wealth of a welfare social democratic welfare state system in, in Finland, and then then a much more inclusive democratic kind of um, educational system was established over the last 50 years. Um, but then to come like to the current like a new chapter, the current um, moment, you know, Finland is like many other Western countries, you know, um, you know, uh, and it, 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 you know, neoliberalism reigns there too. The president, um, you know, president is a, really a figurehead, but he's a, he's a, a member of the coalition party, which is, you know, right center, right business party. Um, and you know, but their, 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 their policies are neoliberal and they're in, they're in, um, the government with the center party, and they have, you know, put through all kinds of reforms that have cut at that education system. They they really tried to gut the university system, taking funding away from other arts, library systems, and so forth. In the idea, you know, it's basically the the standard neoliberal package of seeking to lower tax rates as a means of um, increasing economic growth for a certain sector in the, in the in the economy that's supposed to then kind of filter out to other areas. And I think that's been it, to me, it just, it's, it's sort of, um, it boggles the mind where you have this um, um, very, very strong and rich, for example, university system, education system, and in pursuit of economic growth, you are willing to, 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 to take just a kind of a, a standard approach to um, cutting that ends up really damaging um, a, a very, very strong set of institutions. So, you know, it remains to be seen what will happen 10, 15 years from now when the, the, the kinds of policies that are currently they're seeking to put in place, um, you know, bear their fruit or their it's poisonous fruit. I mean, I think it's, it, it's, it's you know, um, it's not like the, the welfare state remains strong in many ways, but they're, they're certainly wanting to, the, the, the center-right parties are certainly going against some of the, it's, it's not, it's not, you know, it's not the 1970s anymore for sure. Yeah. So my other question is how you see the true things they are also making gains in in parliament in politics in general. 
debate why why are these center right parties doing that? No, the the true things are most uh, are, uh far right, right? I'm sorry, I, I didn't understand the question. The true things party. Oh yeah, right, right. Well, okay, of course, yes, yes, the true things, right. Mm -hmm. So and why are they? What, what's the sort? What's the, what? Why are they becoming popular? Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's an excellent question. You know, and a very important question. Um. Well, that party, in a sense, you could say, is part of a broader European trend of the rise of these kind of localist, um, reactionary parties. Um, historically. A lot of those parties have responded to actual um, policies about refu refugees, about um, economic uh, migration, about political asylum. Um, in the case of Finland, Finland did not had, had very little, um, basically no economic migrancy or allow uh, accepting you know guest worker programs and things like that. Um, because of the Soviet Union, right? Finland thought that it needed to kind of stay out of the geopolitical conflicts that led to refugee flows um, and also maintain its own, you know, like a full employment strategy um, in the post-war period and, and didn't take guest workers. In fact, Finland sent, you know, almost a half a million guest workers to Sweden in the 1960s and 70s. So there, so there wasn't, I mean, and, and there's passport um you know, uh, a union there so that they could just move over there. Um, in any event, though, so Finland has not had historically um, a lot of a lot of um, migrants of the of various the various kinds of refugees, asylum seekers, whatever. Um, it's only it, since really the Syrian War, 2014, right, where the, these huge refugee flows began coming into Europe, that that there was this big increase, and of course that was heavily covered by the media, that 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 really put it on the on the um, in the news every day, and as has been widely reported, there were these, you know, attacks and sort of this, this, um, what is it, the Sons of Odin or whatever, this kind of vigilante group that was, you know, in Finland and so forth, that was, you know, on the front page of the New York Times here in the United States, um, and that kind of thing. So that is to say, there hasn't been historically a lot of migrancy in Finland, but the kind of rise of right-wing parties in other parts of Europe in the last 20 years has you know, inspired Finnish right-wingers to also do that, or populists, whatever you want to call them, and um, recent years have put news in the papers that have, and, and, and in the media that have favored those parties. Um, and I think just being, just having those issues in the news a lot has, has you know, played to, played to the true fans a lot. And then, um, you know, I, I, get, I think at bottom, it's a sort of a politics of, you know, it's a politics of hate or a politics of demonizing the other um, that, you know, I mean, many people feel like they don't, they, they have trouble understanding why people do things differently than they do or whatever. And, and I think that, you know, people come along and say, oh, it's not that they, that you should try to understand they're different than you. They don't belong here. And, and let's, let's make a set of policies that make it harder for them to get here. Um, you know, and, and um, yeah, so I think that's a big part of it. I think the other, the other the other thing that's important to understand in the case of the true Finns is the longtime party leader, Timo Soini, now foreign minister, um, and, you know, there's recently been a party split and so forth, and Soini actually was a, um, as a study political scientist and actually wrote a master's thesis. Very, I haven't read it myself, but 
those I've talked to friends have quite, quite deft master's thesis on populism. And he sort of set out to become a populist, and, and that was his, he, he was a very, the, uh, uh, um, worked for a very famous populist in Finnish political history. And he, so he sort of set out with that political agenda to build a populist, or rebuild, there was a populist kind of movement in the 1950s in Finland, kind of about rural-urban differences. But Soini really set out to kind of rebot sort of this, this, um, uh, reconstruction of a populist movement in Finland, you could say, um, you know, late nineties and, and forward. And, um, so that, that's been a, a thing that, that, um, it's been successful. And of course, one more dimension is just, you know, the kind of post nine 11 world in which, um, it's not just difference, but, but, uh, you know, the kind of, uh, threat of terrorism that is implied or, in, you know, sort of um, associated with, with um, difference or with um, Islam and things like that. I, I think that, you know, those, this, the, fin, the, fin, the Finnish true Finns have also played there. There's been, I think, one minor, I mean, uh, there was a death um, uh, stabbing attack in, in the city of Turku like a year and a half ago that was kind of regarded as the first Finnish ter uh, terrorist incident. And it's, of course, any, any deaths are always to be regretted and, and, and very sad, but um, I think that the country's not really been, been um, part of like global terrorism the way even Sweden has, you know, with the various things that have happened there and so forth. So, um, yeah, that's just a, that, I think that populism playing on difference and then, um, you know, I think that it, it just the, the opportunistic, skillful leadership in the party too helped 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 to grow. But they they have the problem now that there's a, this new generation of leadership is like they're really like hardcore sort of like racist. A little bit like Donald Trump in the United States and this kind of like radical fringe of his, where these people come into mainstream politics and their attitudes and 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 things they advocate are so out there that. It, 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 it ends up like really causing a crisis for the party because you just can't just, it's so fringe, such racist stuff that it's hard for a party to ha maintain its mainstream appeal and these kinds of, and include these activist people that bring the energy for, you know, to do the party, to do the party work. So, it, you know, I, yeah. And how is the, this affecting the minorities that were already in, in, in Finland? Because there were, um, uh, the Sami people, Roma people, right. yeah, how is it affecting them? Um, well, one of the main political issues that's arisen from this um, true fin fluorescence is uh, the kind of politicization of the Swedish language. The true fins have used the issue, have said, um, we want to get rid of the the you know, historically compulsory um, study of Swedish because, you know, Swedish doesn't matter anymore. You should, if you want to learn foreign languages, that's fine, but Swedish is not an international language, and so Finnish, you know, students shouldn't have to learn it. It has been in the schools that, um, that um, speakers of Finnish have to learn Swedish to a certain level, and many government jobs require being bilingual and so forth. So it's, there's, there's a whole system of bilingualism that's built into the institutions of the country and compulsory study of Swedish has been a part of that. So, you know, that's really demonizing minorities in order to, or demonizing a minority in a certain part of that its history um, in order to, you know, really inflame opinion and attract attention to themselves and so forth. I think that's a good example of attacking internal minorities in order to um, 
um, win popularity. As far as the Sami go, um, uh, there was a recent event in which one of, a, a prominent true Finn politician was, you know, said it was, was, what was the, it was a, I can't remember the exact uh, dynamics of the event, but, you know, basically said that um, the Sami, you know, the Sami aren't Finns, you know, so it's, again, this kind of exclusionary uh, kind of politics that is, goes hand in hand with that kind of demonization that I, I gave an example of a moment ago. Yes, it's, and to, to end this conversation, I mean, the, what the the Helsinki summit was uh, was an event that that, that also put um, many people uh, aware that that in Finland people is is very aware of, of American politics and and as someone pointed out uh, the a difference between the protests against Trump uh, in the Helsinki summit where the, that there was a lot of focus on on the internal politics of the U.S., not necessarily the external politics that general are mm -hmm. the protests, and 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 I, I I guess that 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 there there is also a, a concern for for Russia. Um, you mentioned the the large frontier that they have together, and and at the same moment uh, a distrust, I guess at, at least for for the Finnish left and. and and other things uh, for for the U.S. in in these moments. So I guess it's it's a very hard political gambit. Yeah, that's a great great point. Um, I, I I think that <clears throat> one context, of course, is that that with the you know the internet and all manner of satellite TV and so forth. Um, American politics gets a lot of international attention, and so people are extremely, um, you know, people who are interested in politics or follow follow the kind of global news are very very informed about American politics. Far more informed, of course, than Americans are about other political um, contexts and, and, and systems and, and, and figures. Um, uh, and so, you know, it's, it's and, and of course, like a, a someone like Trump who has like sought to antagonize. Um, other countries and, and sought to you know change American foreign policy in, in, in really substantive ways um, over the objections of, of, of other parts of the world, <clears throat> particularly you know this kind of relationship with the EU. Now, it's no surprise that you know I, I should add as well that you know not only the racism but the the um, you know uh, rejection of um, uh, the Paris Accords and and, the, and 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 climate change and so forth. The way I mean it's just like Obviously, the guy's a lightning rod, and people are going to be out there um, protesting him. But it is an interesting thing as well that that you know that that Helsinki um, has this, or Helsinki is the, the, the seat of government has this relationship to Moscow, and um, you know, of course, ser served as a meeting place for Russian or rather Soviet leaders and um, Western leaders in in the post-war period. Um, I think what was it? The Salt Talks were there in what, 1976, um, so forth. So there's this kind of interesting history there, um, uh, as well as a kind of meeting place between East and West. Um, but you know, I mean, at, at that same point, like the kind of the neutrality that was a part of that era is sort of, you know, the, 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 I mean, maybe one thing that Trump has done is like he's thrown into chaos the old 
you know, east-west kind of access. I mean, it's obviously changed tremendously since 91 and the collapse of the Soviet Union in the first place, but nevertheless, um, um, there, there's been this, this, this sort of recalibration, you know, maybe you could say since the, the sort of the re-election of Vladimir Putin in what, I think, was it 2011, um, when he began his like, second period as in the presidency of, of the Russian Republic. Or, uh, so anyway, this is like, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, Finland, of course, like the, the key issue for them is, is, is defense. And, um, you know, like, for example, um, we can notice that the Baltic countries are, have joined NATO, but Finland has not, right? And, and, and always the argument is that Russia, 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 that this would be antagonistic to Russia. We want to maintain pragmatic, solid relations, good communications with Russia. Um, but, you know, now as, as there's been these various sorts of um, Russian activities in various parts of um, Eastern Europe, you know, Ukraine, Georgia, things like that, um, I think that, that Finns are very, very alert to that relationship and um, um, working very, very hard to maintain a good relationship. And, of course, when it's a, a political situation, as is the case in Russia, that makes for all kinds of challenges. And um, so I think, you know, Maybe the sum is that there's it's a huge I mean it's obviously a huge huge um, PR win for Finland to be in the global spotlight like that, despite the uh, nature of, of the the um, the event and the care and the figures that were a part of it, um, you know and and they got a lot of good media play I think for for their hospitality and and, and, and management of, of that summit, but at the same time underlying that is a series of questions about their relationship to Russia and to to um, of the United States. It was funny. I saw in the, when I see it in the Finnish tabloids just before. You know, then they were like <laughs> the tabloids were reporting on Trump's previous visit to Finland. I guess he'd been there sometime in the '80s or something like that, and was talking about making some purchase there. But then, you know, for I don't know, casino or something like that, never happened. But um, yeah, but I mean, being a part being a part of the global stories, of course, um, a big deal for for any small nation. And I think that they, they got a lot of positive press. So that was probably the, what that what was in it for them and a big win for them. Being a global player obviously helps any 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 country to uh, increase its, its or sort of heightens its brand awareness. Yeah. So I think with that we could leave it here. So where do people go find your work, and if you're working on a current project? Oh yeah. Thank you for asking about that. They can find out all about um, uh, me and my colleagues at the Department of Scandinavian Studies at the University of Washington at our um, website. You can just Google Department of Scandinavian Studies, University of Washington, and um, you can find out my, about my current projects um, there as well. Right now, I'm working on uh, a book on Nordic noir, uh, and the topic that everyone wants to talk about, and uh, something I've, I've written about um, over the years. Um, one book of, uh, I'm working on myself, and then the second book is called um, Nordic noir. Adaptation and Appropriation, which is an edited volume um, that I'm working on with a scholar, a film scholar, Linda Badley, and another film scholar, Yako Seppala, Finnish scholar. And um, uh, that's, I'm very excited about that. I think Nordic Noir is a topic that, that um, needs more scholarly attention and is really, uh, really fascinating. There's been great work on it um, that, that uh, um, can, we, we can add to further with thinking about it, not only as films or novels or television series but as kind of multimedia a multimedia phenomenon that goes in many different directions and, and um is really a, i think a 
uh, instance of the way that global culture works today, where it's it's sort of so so densely intermedial. Okay, so that sounds like a really interesting project. So thank you for for being here, Andrew. Yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity to talk to you, um, and uh, I really really enjoyed the the visit.